grab a Bible, we are going to be in Acts chapter 18 this morning. So we're, we're moving on to Acts 18. We've got some Bibles on the resource table. I also have some uh, handy-dandy sermon uh, handouts, if you want to grab one of those and a clipboard over there. And uh, we are in the first 17 verses. Last week, if you all remember, if you all were with us, Paul was in Athens. And Athens was a city full of idols. Uh, It provoked his spirit. So much idolatry was happening around him. It provoked his spirit to share the gospel. So he was teaching and preaching God's word in the synagogue, the marketplaces, on Philosopher's Hill, Mars Hill. Um, But he was alone. Do you remember that? He was waiting for Silas and Timothy. So he was by himself. But by God's grace, he wasn't alone for long. When he made the transition out of Athens to Corinth, we see how he quickly formed relationships, even as he was waiting for his old friends, Silas and Timothy, to show up and join him in his ministry. Um, Speaking of that and and being alone and and having people come alongside us in our ministry, uh, I was researching this. I had heard people talk about different surveys that have been going around with COVID and how that's affected uh, pastors and full-time ministers. Uh, If you've seen any of the news on that, A lot of people are retiring or stepping out of full-time ministry in our country. And so I actually dug in and I went to the Barna group. Uh, George Barna uh, has a company that does a lot of polling and surveys and such. And the Barna group found this past year, I think it came out in March or April, they found that 42% of pastors had considered quitting full-time ministry within the past year. I think I've got it up there. So they, they tracked it from like the beginning of last year, 2021, till the, basically the beginning of this year. And almost half of pastors had considered, at least, some of them had quit, but at least considered quitting full-time ministry. And guys, the top reasons that they provided, that's the next slide. These are the three top reasons that they, that they cited. The very top one, 56% of them said, Feeling the immense stress of the job. And you can imagine that was just multiplied under COVID with all the changes and ups and downs and everything else. The second highest reason cited was feeling lonely and isolated in ministry, in their jobs. That was almost half. And then current political divisions was 38% cited that. And I, I imagine that's how political divisions in our culture affected the cultures of our churches and the cultures of the churches they were serving in. And, um, And so those were the top ones. And those also happened to be, so the other group, the 58% that hadn't considered quitting full-time ministry, when they asked them what the hardest things were they were facing, guess what? It was the exact same three answers. It was all of those ones we just listed. Um, But they hadn't considered quitting, and they asked those pastors a follow-up question of, why didn't you consider quitting full-time ministry last year? And these were their answers. Their top answers for persevering in ministry were 83% of them, they believed in the value of their ministry. They believed that what they were doing mattered. Three quarters of them said they felt a duty to stay and fulfill their calling in ministry. So a sense of obligation or duty. And then 73% were satisfied with their job. And then This last one uh, really hit home for me. They felt well-supported by their family, that was two-thirds of them, and their community, that was almost 60% of them. And and the report pointed this out, but there was this feeling of of support from family and community that called attention, they said in their quote, to the importance of strong and encouraging relationships in the lives of these pastors. Strong and encouraging relationships in their lives. 
And by God's grace, just to make this personal, I was not in that first group this last year. I was in the second group by God's grace. Um, I did not consider quitting full-time ministry last year, despite all of what was going on. But I think the reason I cite all this is so that we can learn something. I think we can all learn something from this report, especially since we as Christians are all called to full-time gospel ministry. Did you know that? I know we get in this staff laity or clergy laity thing, but that's not biblical, right? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't care if you're an accountant or an orthodontist, like you're called to full-time gospel ministry. And so I think we can all learn from this regardless of whether or not we're on a staff with a church. And as we live out that calling, folks, we're going to feel lonely and we're going to feel isolated and we're going to feel overwhelmed and we're going to feel under-resourced or ill-equipped. And sometimes we're going to feel discouraged. And that's true for all of us in our Christian walk. But just like the Barna study, today's passage reminds us of the importance of having strong, encouraging relationships that will help us stand firm, as Ephesians says over and over again, stand firm in our Christian walk and calling. Here's the big idea for today. Folks, gospel ministry is challenging. It is. If you're engaged in it, you're going to have a target on your back, first of all, with regard to spiritual warfare, but it's just going to be difficult, right? So gospel ministry is challenging, so we need ministry support. Specifically, we need other Christians for these things. And I'm, you know, here's my alliteration for today, all right? We need other Christians and their support for companionship as we minister, for capacity to minister, for a context for our ministry, and for comfort to continue in ministry, to persevere. So let's talk about those four C's. First of all, gospel ministry is challenging, so we need companionship in ministry. We cannot take the burden of the Great Commission on our shoulders as individuals. We're going to be crushed under the weight of that burden, okay? And in our passage, Paul experienced companionship, folks, as he lived with and worked alongside other Christians in Corinth. Look at verses 1 through 3. It says, after these events, that is, the events in Athens... Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Corinth was about 40 miles away from Athens. It was a little further southwest down uh, on the, uh, uh, in Greece, modern-day Greece. And uh, it was a major hub for government and trade, economics. And so he goes to Corinth, and it says he found a Jew named Aquila. Remember, Paul's Jewish. And he found, finds a fellow Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And then it says, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. That included Jewish Christians. We'll talk about that in a second. He came to them, that is, Paul came to them, Priscilla and Aquila, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they worked together for they were tent makers by trade. That's tent makers or or leather workers. If they were leather workers, they probably made tents as well. So in A.D. 49, we know this historically, the emperor uh, Claudius in A.D. 49 kicked out all, there's like 50,000 Jews living in Rome. They had whole sections of the city that they lived in, and the emperor Claudius kicked them all out, including the Jewish Christians. Do you want to know why? Historically, the reason cited is because of riots over Crestus, which is probably a, a mispronunciation, a typo when that historian wrote it, of Christus, 
which is Christ. So there's riots in Rome. Remember all those people at Pentecost, a lot of them went back to Rome, maybe even Priscilla and Aquila. And so there's these Jewish Christians sharing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christus, and there's riots. And so Emperor Claudius kicks them all out, and that's what brings them to Corinth. Kind of neat. But God establishes Priscilla and Aquila using what they know how to do, using their business, their trade. He establishes them in Corinth so that why? So that they'd be ready to receive a fellow leather worker or tent maker named Paul upon his arrival a couple years later. This is all God's sovereign work going on here, okay? And it's neat to see how God can use all sorts of experiences to bring his people together in Christian community. I mean, think of how he's bringing the nations to our doorstep through uh, people seeking asylum or seeking refuge in our country. I mean, God works in all these different circumstances to bring people together, and he did it in our passage. So, folks, gospel ministry is challenging, and the Lord knows that we're going to need companionship. We're going to need other Christians in our lives in ministry. And, you know, personally, I'm grateful to God for the companionship that I've experienced with the other four elders at our church. We have five elders. The other guys are Kevin, Chris, John, and Martine. And they have been my companions through thick and thin. And I've experienced so much uh, support from them and companionship. And as we get to lead together, we get to do life together. We're in each other's lives. We know what's going on. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, and, and we work alongside each other. I mean, I don't work at their office places, right, or down building skyscrapers in downtown Austin, but we work together in serving this church community, this church family, and it's really fun to have those companions in that. And I got to tell you, my pastoral perseverance over these last six years of Wayside is a direct result of their unwavering companionship. If I did not have those four men, and their spouses too, by the way, uh, uh, for my spouse, Stacy, but if I did not have them in their companionship, I don't think, I mean, God can do anything, but I can just see myself having burned out a long time ago, okay, and working at like Home Depot or something just to, you know, get out of ministry, right? Uh, but, but their companionship's really helped me in that. So gospel ministry has certainly been challenging. It's been challenging for us here at Wayside. But the Lord has provided us with Christian companionship. And that's certainly true of me as well. So think about this. As as we apply this, who are your close companions on this Christian journey? Are you experiencing companionship with other Christians? Did you know you can go to church week in and week out? You can have a perfect attendance record at church services on Sunday mornings and still not experience the level of companionship with other Christians that Christ intended for us in and through the local church. We all know that's true. Most of us have experienced that at some level in our Christian walk. So what do you need to do differently, or how can we as a church family help come alongside you if you are feeling isolated or alone in your Christian walk? Let's talk about it. Listen, if you're single and you're living with a non-Christian roommate, I think it's great that we're living with non-Christians, that we're working with non-Christians, but sometimes the Lord's going to lead us to go room up with a fellow Christian, brother, sister in Christ. Because sometimes we need to be able to go home after a hard day of working with a lot of people that don't share our beliefs and values and talk to that person and have them pray for us and hold each other accountable in that day-to-day context. Uh, Or if you're married, are there any fellow Christian couples that you can invite over every couple of weeks for a game night or or just to check in on each other, have dinner, share a meal? Uh, 
If you're spending most of your week at work, is there a Christian brother or sister that you could grab lunch with or pray with once a week? Usually there are. I mean, if our workplace is big enough. And I would also encourage everyone to be in a men's or women's discipleship group. I mean, I can't sit up here you know, on Sundays from the pulpit and say, you need Christian companionship, but, and then you're not in a men's or women's discipleship group. That's like plan A for Wayside. So like, if you're not in one of those, like even if you're not doing the Ephesians Bible study, even if you're not doing the workshops and all, everything else we do, get into a discipleship group with a couple, you know, two, three, four brothers or sisters in Christ, and, and every couple weeks meet with them. Um, that's plan A for us around here. And if you need help with that, come talk to me. So we need companionship to be effective ministers of the gospel, but that's not all we need. Gospel ministry is challenging, so we also need capacity for ministry. I mean, that seems so obvious. We need the capacity to be ministers, right? And again, this gets back to our need for other Christians in our lives. Uh, Look at how other Christians provide Paul with the capacity to focus on his gospel ministry in verses 4 and 6. I'll read it. It says, And Paul was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks, that is, that Jesus is the Christ. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood is on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So again, we see Paul doing what he's always doing. He's going to the synagogues, if there is one, to share with his fellow Jews from the Hebrew Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And we know that because the Hebrew Scriptures said he has to die and rise again. And Jesus died and rose again. Okay? And then there's organized resistance. They're slandering him or Christ or both. And so he pulls out and then focuses on the, 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 the Gentiles in Corinth. And here's an interesting thing. Did you hear that little part about Silas and Timothy coming from Macedonia? So if you look in a couple of Paul's letters, specifically in his second letter to the Corinthian church, which is the same church he's establishing right here. In 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 11, verse 8 and 9. Uh, He mentions that he was financially supported by other churches while he was ministering in Corinth. Do you know he was he was receiving financial support from churches and and primarily from Philippi, this church in Macedonia that had sent him several times financial support. And it also sent support to the the folks in um, their brothers and sisters in Christ in Palestine. And so he actually mentions that in his letter, second letter to the Corinthians, that he robbed from other churches to minister so that he didn't have to ask them for money, so that that didn't become a, a, a stumbling block for them as he presented the gospel to them. And he actually references, I think that's so cool. And so Silas and Timothy, when they came from Macedonia, and this is a little bit of speculation, but they probably, that's probably when they brought the financial support, those donations, to help support him so he could eat. And, and buy the things he needed to buy so that he could lean into full-time ministry, not just on the Sabbath when work ceased, but throughout the week when he would otherwise be making tents and leather stuff. And so they, they bring this, and they might have even worked so that he wouldn't have to. They might have even gone and worked in the marketplace so that he could continue preaching and teaching and, and debating. So Paul depended on others for his capacity to fulfill his calling in Corinth. That's what I want you to see. He didn't just go in, roll up his sleeves, 
you know, pull up his bootstraps and go do it by himself. He needed them to help him and support him so that he could do what he was called to do. And Paul was facing organized resistance and slander from some of the synagogue officials. And he was only able to minister to his fellow Jews on the Sabbath because they couldn't make tents on the Sabbath. And so he would go in and talk to him then at the synagogue. Um, But with the support of Silas and Timothy, Paul was able to minister throughout the work week, seven days a week, to both Jews and Gentiles. So gospel ministry is challenging, okay? And the Lord often provides capacity through the efforts and support of other Christians. Guys, if you're like, my life is just wheels off and I have no capacity for anything. I don't even feel like I have capacity to be a Christian, you know? Well, first of all, like you're a Christian if you've trusted in Christ, not because you've done a lot of stuff or not done stuff, okay? But second of all, maybe we can depend on others. I mean, I always think about when Stacy wants to go to lunch with uh, a woman from our church or something, or a neighbor, like I'll do everything I can to cover the kids so that she can go. Or if there's a women's retreat or something, like I'll move heaven and earth so that she can go to that. So sometimes it's a spouse, sometimes it's just asking for help, for support from other people in the church. I mean, I have to do that sometimes with the elders to, to cover the pulpit in preaching, right? So we can support each other and give each other capacity. And this is a lesson that I learned really early on in church planning. And it's a lesson I'm still learning as we get ready to celebrate our sixth year uh, of ministry. But to to be perfectly honest with you, I am a pitiful delegator. If you've been with me at all in ministry, then you know that I'm a terrible delegator. I'm a micromanager. I'm just pitiful at like handing things over to people and saying, I need help. Here, take this. God bless you, you know, done, right? Uh, and once in a while, people will, will be sort of, uh, uh, bless you. Once in a while, people will kind of grab it from me, and that's always a good thing. Um, but I'm a pitiful delegator. So as a result, what happens? What happens when you're a bad delegator? What do you do? You're busy, and you pick up every hat that's lying around, and you put it on, right? And I felt like that hats for sale book guy, you know? Like, while we were church planning, especially in the early years of church planning, I, I was wearing like every hat, every hat that was lying around. I was like, well, somebody needs to wear that. I'm just going to wear that, right? And what that does is it diminishes my capacity to do my, the, the sweet spot of ministry, which for me is teaching, talking to people about Scripture, helping them understand the Bible, helping them grow in their faith, getting to know people, connecting people, going to lunch, sitting down, having coffee with people, praying for people. That's my sweet spot. But I end up doing all this other stuff, right? Because I was wearing all these other hats. And, and that's really one of the reasons why the elders have been so adamant about getting a ministry coordinator, which is somebody to kind of help with the projects that we have and some of the administrative support that we need. They've been on me about that. They're like, dude, you've got to put down some hats. We need to get a ministry coordinator. And I should see some head nodding going on right about now uh, with a couple of y'all. But, um, but that's why I need help. And, and we need someone... This is real time. Like, we need someone at Wayside who is administratively gifted. Did you know that's, that's a spiritual gift that Paul lists? The gift of administration. And you're thinking, I'm just that annoying person that cares about details. No, you're not. You're that glorious, spirit-enabled, God-gifted administrator that can use your gifts for the glory of God in the context of the local church. And we need you. Um, I, my heart does not, um, what is the, how's your heart, you know? My heart is never as it should be when I'm like putting together Wayside Weekly emails in MailChimp. Like that's my, I'm like dying 
on the inside when I'm doing that. And those go out every week. Probably why you notice that a lot of times they don't go out, because I've been procrastinating, because I don't want to sit down and put together an email with a bunch of details and, and registration links and stuff, right? That's just a hat that I ended up wearing. Um, but I'm sure there's someone in our church family that actually enjoys gathering details, creating order, communicating effectively, and God bless you. Now, present yourself, right? <laughs> Text me, all right? And I sent out the, the job description on that this last week. So, folks, gospel ministry has certainly had its challenges, but the Lord has always provided us here at Wayside with fellow Christians to help carry the load and to ultimately increase our capacity for the ministry that Christ has called us to. So I would encourage you to consider your gifts, consider your talents, consider your abilities. Think outside the box. Those lists of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, those are not exhaustive lists. At least I don't think they are. They couldn't be because they're different, right? So think about how has God wired you, your personality, your abilities, your experiences, things that you've lived through so that those of us that haven't don't pay the dumb tax. You can come alongside and go, hey, that's probably not a good idea. I've done that before, you know? That's what we need. So think of ways that you can lean in in that way to our church. Um, What resources could you use? Do you have time? Some of us have a lot of time. Some of us don't have time, but we have money, financial resources. What resources do you have that you could lean in and bless our church with to increase everyone else's capacity? Um, the, The fact is, this church family needs each and every one of you guys. It needs you to be a committed member of this church. We're all hands on deck, and we need everybody. We need all uh, uh, pistons firing on this thing, okay? So we need you. And if you're administratively gifted, then I could really use your help. Um, So check out that, that position I sent out this week. So with support, we can have more capacity to minister effectively. I hope that's clear. But folks, that's not all we need. Gospel ministry is challenging, so we also need a context for ministry. We need a place, a space in which to minister. A strategic space, nonetheless, for gospel ministry. So in verses 7 and 8, look at how Paul receives support in the form of a place to minister. Look at this. In verses 7, it says, Then he left the synagogue. So he's getting organized resistance. He leaves the synagogue, and he's looking around. Now, where am I going to go for strategic gospel ministry? Look what it says. He left the synagogue and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Where was his house? It was right next door to the synagogue. I don't know how much more strategic you get in terms of a place for gospel ministry. So he goes to this house of this guy. And then the very next verse is Crispus, the leader of the synagogue. He's one of the rulers of the synagogue in Corinth. He believes in the Lord together with his entire household And it goes on to say, and many of the Corinthians, as they listened to Paul, they were believing and being baptized. Because again, that's how we publicly profess our faith in Christ is we get baptized. So you got all these people believing and being baptized, including the synagogue ruler, Crispus, and his whole family, because he set up shop next to the synagogue. And so Luke gives us that nice little summary. So things had gotten really confrontational. You can imagine 
uh, things kind of heated up in the synagogue there in Corinth. And so Paul's looking around for this new space because what's his heart at this point? He shared all the evidence from the Hebrew scriptures to his Jewish brothers and sisters through the synagogue, right? So now he's looking around like to all these Gentiles in Corinth, all the Corinthians, and he's saying, where can I strategically minister to these folks? Where can I share the gospel with them, build relationships with them? So he finds... Um, he finds a place that happens to be right next to the synagogue, and it's, it's owned by a well-to-do Gentile Corinthian, probably a Roman guy, probably a Roman citizen based on his name. And so he, he's a God worshiper. He's already inclined to worship the one true God, and he lives next to the synagogue. And he says, hey, you need a place to minister? Come on over to my house. It's spacious. I think that's beautiful. So with the support of others, Paul now has both the capacity for ministry because he's got Silas and Timothy and the donations from the Macedonian churches. But now he also has a context in which to minister provided, supplied by a uh, well-to-do believer in God. And, uh, And as a result, many Corinthians are coming to faith in Christ, including, like I said, one of the leaders of the synagogue with his whole household. So guys, gospel ministry is challenging. It will present innumerable challenges, but others can help us find strategic contexts to minister in, strategic places to build relationships to share the gospel. Um, when we first formed Wayside's core team, we had a couple over last night, uh, a friend of my, my daughter's from school, that, that her and her sister and her parents came over and played Pictionary with us last night. It was so much fun. But they were asking about Wayside, and it kind of made me think back to like the early days of Wayside. And... Um, when we first formed, our core team came over and were meeting in our den. You remember this, guys. I'm looking at you, Reikley's, uh, LaPointe's. A bunch of y'all in the room were there. But we were meeting in our den because we didn't need a bigger space than that. But quickly, by January of 2016, we had to move to our living room and dining room and like kind of expand out into the front of our house, right? And it was funny because like we had all the kids upstairs because we've always had like twice as many kids as adults. So we had like babies in the master bedroom with like a little sign that said wayside babies and stuff. So, but we used our house for ministry, for gospel ministry. That's the point. And then we had to spread out. Uh, eventually we, we were meeting in the youth ministry room at a local Baptist church. Uh, I knew the pastor and he's like, you want to meet in our student ministry room while we meet down in our sanctuary? And we're like, yes, we'd love that. So we were meeting there. Um, where did we go from there? Well, during COVID, we met in a parking lot of another Baptist church, Great Hills Baptist. They let us use their parking lot on Saturday mornings. And we like hooked up AV to like their RV parking, you know, plug in and stuff. And it was, it was great, but it was COVID. It was crazy. But we, they, they supplied us with a place to do gospel ministry. Uh, we've used the Reikley's house, even the martini pool for baptisms. And we've used their living room for a lot of y'all were baptized in their, their pool, right? And since then, they got a new pool, but that, that old pool's still near and dear to our hearts. But we've done women's Bible studies over there, marriage and parenting workshops over there at their home, in their house, using their pool and all these other things. Uh, and for seven years, I've worked out of a local cupcake store uh, that was owned by someone who used to attend our church back when we first launched. Uh, she, she owned it. She still owns it. And for seven years now, I've been getting coffee and meeting with people at a cupcake shop down the street. And, and she's great with it. She's like, please come and just make yourself at home. You don't even have to buy anything, you know. So gospel ministry has certainly had its challenges, right? But the Lord has always provided our church with people who help us find strategic contexts for gospel ministry. 
and it comes in all shapes and sizes. So think about what you have to offer. Think about your home. How can you, I don't care how many square feet you have, think about how you can use your home as a, as a strategic context for gospel ministry. That could be inviting your neighbors over. That could be whatever, right? Your front yard, your backyard, do a backyard Bible study, a, a backyard Bible club this summer through Hill Country Bible Church. Do a front yard pumpkin carving party for your neighbors this Halloween. Whatever. How can you use your house? Or maybe God's blessed you with the resources to have a piece of land, a ranch, uh, a lake house, a, a boat, um, a mountain lodge. Frankly, if you have a mountain lodge, you should have talked to me about this a long time ago, okay? <laughs> we would be having retreats out there. But, but the point is, like, whatever you have, use it for the glory of God. I was talking to someone just the other day that they were buying a second house, not because they just wanted to increase their standard of living, but God had blessed them with a lot of finances, and they wanted to make it a place where people could go, like missionaries coming off the field, or pastors and their families, or friends from church that just needed a break and needed to go up to the mountains for a while. So what can you use in that way to provide a strategic context for gospel ministry? And besides companionship, capacity, and a context for ministry, we need all those things. There's one more thing that we need that we see in today's passage. So gospel ministry is challenging, so we are going to need plenty of comfort to continue in ministry. Guys, we need to be comforted as we face challenges and difficulties. We need assurance from the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of angel armies, as we just sang. We need assurance that he will protect and provide for us as we pursue his plans and purposes in this life on this earth. We need to be assured of that. Look at verses 9 through 17. It says, And the Lord said to Paul by a vision at night, Do not be afraid any longer. Don't you love that? that, that and I think the Lord here is Jesus from the context, as far as I'm concerned. Jesus sends a vision to his apostle Paul at night. And he says what? Do not be afraid. It, it harkens all the way back to Joshua when they're entering the promised land. Do not be afraid. He says, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many people in this city. And it says the very next verse and he, that is Paul, settled there in Corinth for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So here we see the Lord providing Paul with words of comfort directly in a vision. He's encouraging his apostle to persevere in the gospel ministry that he called him to, all the way back to the road to Damascus in the beginning where we saw in the story of Saul. Because what? Because the Lord knows how hard it's going to be. Remember, that's one of the first things he says to Saul, who becomes Paul. He says, I'm going to show you how difficult this is going to be to fulfill this calling I'm placing on you. And so he knows he needs comfort and encouragement, and that's what he provides. But the Lord, in doing so, he doesn't just say, hey, you know, buck up, you know, persevere, you know, pull up your bootstraps, buddy, get to it. No, what does he do? He promises to protect Paul and provide whatever he needs to fulfill his plans and purposes in Corinth. Is anybody going to stand in the way of Jesus and his people 
in Corinth, while they're accomplishing his plans and purposes that he's sovereignly set forth to accomplish? No. <laughs> Period. Now, he doesn't always let people stay in places 18 months. Sometimes they get you know, run out of town quickly. And we, we've already seen that in the book of Acts, and we're going to see it again in places. But the point is, he wanted Paul to be there for a year and a half, and so he provided for him and protected him so that he could do that and accomplish those plans. And the Lord's plan, what was it? He has many people in this city. We've already seen several times in Acts where it says he had his chosen ones. He had his elect that he was bringing to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, to salvation through faith in Christ. Even among the Gentiles, going all the way back to the Hebrew Scriptures, that he would have his elect among the Gentiles. So Jesus has people in Corinth that he is bringing to faith in himself through the ministry of Paul and the others, Silas and Timothy and others. And so his plan is to save his elect from among the Corinthians and establish a church in this strategic Roman city that stands really as a hinge between the Western Mediterranean and the Eastern Mediterranean. And that's why he protected Paul for those 18 months of ministry. And that's exactly what we see happening in the final part of our passage today. So let's look at 12 through 17 quickly. It says, but while Gallio was proconsul, proconsul is kind of like the governor, was proconsul of, of Achaia, the Jews rose up together against Paul and, sought him, and brought him before the judgment seat. That's the Bema seat. That's the, the place where they would, the, the proconsul would sit to, to uh, carry out justice, right? To make judgments. Uh, and they were saying, this man is inciting the people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of some crime or vicious, unscrupulous act, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about teaching and persons, uh, Questions about teaching and persons and your own law, see to it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat, but they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, who may have become a Christian at this point, just like Crispus had. They, they took hold of Sosthenes and began beating him in front of the judgment seat, and yet Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. So guys... Paul is a great orator and rhetorician, and I mean, he's just a talented communicator. But he didn't even have to open his mouth to get the judgment that he was fine and that Gallio wasn't going to do anything about what he was doing, all right? The Roman ruler basically just stated that he's not going to be a judge of a situation which he considers to be a theological debate among Jews within Judaism, and this is an example of the Lord protecting and providing for Paul as he was ministering to the Corinthians. He provided political protection in this sense. Gospel ministry is challenging, and the Lord knows we need comfort. And a lot of times that comfort is just him showing us that he's taking care of us. And I actually have a label in my Gmail. Some of, I was talking to John Courtney about this. I wish I could keep my inbox as tidy as he does. But I actually have a label called encouragement. And I, I've put, I don't know how many dozens and dozens of emails. But these are, these are emails that I've received, uh, usually from other Christians, most of them being from other waysiders or people from our old church back in Fort Worth. But they're all these incredible messages that are encouraging, they're uplifting, they're comforting. Why? 
Because nine times out of ten, these encouraging messages are reminding us that the Lord is going to provide for us and protect us so that we can accomplish whatever he's called us to do, wherever he's called us to be. And I got to tell you, I need those reminders every single weekend and week out that the Lord, if he's called us to it, he's going to provide and protect us to accomplish that in his strength by the power of the Holy Spirit for his glory. And so I've put these in this great little, uh, little label. Um, gospel ministry does have its challenges, but the Lord always provides comfort and it usually comes. How does it come mostly through visions in the night? I've never had a vision in the night. I think they happen. I've talked to people that have visions of Jesus, uh, but I haven't had that. You know how it comes to me through you. It comes through your notes and it comes through your phone calls and it comes through your encouraging words after a church service or whenever. And that's how the Lord comforts me. And guess what? That's probably the primary way that the Lord's going to comfort you as well, which is why we need each other. All of us need comfort and constant reminders that the Lord will protect and provide for us as we accomplish his purposes. And every single one of you, including you kids, the Lord has plans and purposes for your life to accomplish. So is there someone in the church who might need to be comforted by an encouraging word from you today? Maybe you're that person. And I pray that God would connect someone with you to bring a kind, comforting, encouraging word about the Lord's love for you and his care for you. But maybe you get to share that word with someone else. And so think about that. I almost want to dismiss the service right now and just send you out to do that on your phones. But just promise me you'll do that, okay? All right. And we're going to be an encouraged church family if we, if we hold to that. And remember that part of our ministry in supporting others is to support with comfort and encouragement in Christ. So, as I mentioned earlier at the beginning, full-time gospel ministry is something that we are all called to as Christians. We don't get to do the I'm not on staff thing, okay? We're all called to it. So we are all going to feel the challenges, and we will all need companionship, capacity, context, and to be comforted to become the effective ministers of the gospel that we are called by Christ to be. And I want to close with the words of the Reverend Dr. Glenn Pacquiam. I was reading in Barna. They had something called the State of the Church, where they bring together their statistics on the church and kind of talk about the state of the church in America. And, and Dr. Pacquiam said this in that State of the Church document. He said, we need sages to advise us. All of us need sages to advise us. Leaders to direct us or hold us accountable Peers to remind us that we aren't alone. Healers to dress our wounds. And companions who carry us when we can't carry on. And guys, that's not just true of pastors. That is true of all of us. As we lean into full-time gospel ministry, we are going to need each other's support. Uh, Next week, we're going to fast forward 18 months. Luke only gives us a snippet of what Paul's doing in Corinth, but we're going to fast forward 18 months to when he leaves Corinth and finally heads to Ephesus, which is the exact strategic, he thought, strategic place to share the gospel, but he was kept by God out of Ephesus at the beginning of this missionary journey. He's going to finally get to Ephesus on the return trip, and we're going to look at that next week.